You're listening to the Sped Prep Academy podcast. Your host, Jennifer Hofferber, is an award-winning veteran special educator who shares her experience, knowledge, and passion to help other special educators survive and thrive in this profession. Join her and other guests as they share tips and tricks of the trade for the ever-crazy, completely overwhelming, laugh-so-you-don't-cry profession of being a special education teacher. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of the SPED Prep Academy podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer, and if you are a special education teacher who loves the field but is feeling overwhelmed with all that goes into being a special educator, then this is the podcast for you. This podcast is such a labor of love for me because I get to merge my 28 years of experience of being a special educator in the classroom with my love for teaching adults. I provide you with timely and applicable information that you can immediately put into action within your own classroom, department, or program. These weekly mini doses of professional development are perfect for the busy special educator who needs just a little boost of motivation to to stay the course in order to survive and thrive in this profession. On today's show, we're going to dive into behavior once again. I feel like it's such a broad topic that we could cover it week after week and still not be something that very many of us are comfortable with. So I've got Carly Hughes here with us today from Behind Behaviors, which is her educational consulting company created for families and caregivers of students with unique learning needs in the areas of emotional and behavioral functioning and specialized instruction. Carly is going to chat with us about helping teachers support student behaviors in the classroom. So let's hear from Carly. Well, welcome to the Sped Prep Academy podcast, Carly. Thanks. I'm glad happy to be here. Before we get started, would you share a little bit about yourself and your experience within the field of special education? Yeah. So currently I am kind of considered a behavior specialist or behavior interventionist at a uh, middle school, comprehensive middle school with a regional program. Um, so working with students with emotional and behavioral disabilities, um, uh, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. Um Prior to that, I was at the high school level doing um, the life skills kind of content for, um, again, students who are accessing the alternative um, assessment and curriculum. But I started off uh, going to school at West Virginia. I studied child development and family studies uh, with a certifi- certificate in pre-K special ed. Um, I wasn't sure where I wanted to go with it. I wasn't sure if I wanted to be a teacher. Um, I didn't really know a lot about the whole BCBA um, world or ABA world. Um, but after graduating from West Virginia, I went out to Boise, uh, lived there for a little bit, and I was kind of working as an RBT out there. But um, in Boise at the time, it was 2016, they called it um, a habilitative behavior interventionist. Um, but it was essentially what we see now as being an RBT. You do the 40-hour course, coursework. And then you're kind of working uh, with some students. Um, after living in Boise, I moved back to Maryland. That's where I really got into um, ABA. It's got my RBT certification, working as um, an RBT tech in schools, both private and public. I worked at a company who was kind of contracted with different uh, public schools. And then from there, I decided I want to go into teaching. So I moved down to Raleigh um, and I got my certificate in teaching um, for K through 12 special ed. And I started working as a teacher in a Three through fifth, third through fifth grade um, EBD classroom. So I was a lead teacher for uh, behavior there. And so now I'm as a behavior specialist, and I love it. You have a completely different um, background than I do. So I'm so excited to, make, to jump into this topic because this is, you know, an area where a lot of special education teachers struggle. Well, I found your Instagram page one day while scrolling on Instagram. And noticed that you have a business dedicated to supporting an aspect of special education that can be such a struggle for teachers. And so I wanted to have a chat with you and share 
with the listeners about behavior so that maybe we could dispel some myths or clear up some misunderstandings when it comes to why kids act the way they do and how we as teachers can do better to support them. So we often hear the term, all behavior is communication. So what are some of the most common things a student might be able, might be trying to communicate? This really kind of depends. Um, We know, and again, like from my ABA background, um, I've learned that there are four main functions to behavior. And so really when you're trying to figure out um, why a student is doing what they're doing or what are they trying to communicate, you want to really figure out what are those four functions. Um, And so you can remember that eats. um, So they are trying to escape something. They're trying to get attention, tangibles, or sensory. Um, And a lot of times in schools, we always hear that kids like are just doing that for attention. And I think it's really important to note that it's not a bad thing for humans to want attention. And people are not inherently bad. Um, And so I think when you're trying to figure out what the communication is, going with that mindset and knowing that they're not doing this to be bad or to have this reputation with the person, Um, they are trying to do it for communication. And so you really want to understand the antecedents to help you understand kind of, again, what are they trying to get to? So what is happening beforehand? Maybe the student is trying, is leaving the classroom. I see at middle school, a lot of students will leave the classroom. We call it eloping. Maybe they're wanting the halls. Um, and at my level where, again, my students are um, in the general education setting most of the time, they're getting that um, core curriculum, but we see them, they'll leave the classroom. And especially when back from COVID, we were like, why is this happening? Um, what are they trying to communicate? And it can really just depend. There are some times where people are overwhelmed with the setting that they're in. Maybe they um, just need a break and don't know how to say it, so they're walking out. Um, they might be struggling with the academics. And again, like, don't know how to communicate that feel shame around communicating that. Um, I really like Renee Brown's work. That's a whole side part around shame and emotion, um, which can be tied into behavior. And um, But then we also see things like building that communication strategies. strategies. So we see them leaving the room all the time. We want to then scaffold them and saying, how do you ask for a break? How do you say this is getting too tough? Um, Do you just need a flip card? Do you have the skills to say it? Do you feel like you can say it? Do you feel like this teacher is allowing you to say it? So really kind of looking at the whole setting to really understand what is being communicated and then giving this child those skills to then communicate more effectively versus the behavior that we've been seeing them do. Well, when I hear the word triggers, I often wonder if if the human, if the teacher themselves can be a trigger. Like, you know, I've had students who prefer one or two of the paraprofessionals over another paraprofessional. And I feel like it's because they respond differently to them for the same activity. So what what do you say to teachers who might just be the problem? You know, the teacher who's saying that, oh, they're just acting out for attention. I think that's really important because to acknowledge, because also I think that that can lead to burnout when we are dealing with children or students that like are constantly triggered by us and we're constantly seeing those behaviors when we're with that student. And so I think the most important thing is to one, not take it personally. And it can be hard because these are people, whether they're 12 or five or 16, you know, it hurts when we're like, why are you doing this with me? Why am I the one that can't talk to you? But just taking a step back and kind of acknowledging that it might actually not be you. It could be that this person or child has had a negative experience with someone who resembles you, or it could be that, you know, maybe, you know, you don't fully understand their story and that frustrates them. Um, You know, I've seen a couple of times working in a variety of settings, um, we as staff get really dysregulated and that will then cause us to react to students a certain way. And then our students will react back and suddenly we're like, why are you reacting in a way that's dysregulated, but not really thinking that the way we came off was that, you know, aggressive or assertive or loud or whatever, which could trigger that student. So really just acknowledging ourselves first to manage that behavior second. And then that attention piece, I I hear that so often that um, they're just seeking attention. They just want attention. They're just doing this to get attention. So what do you say to to those teachers who feel that way? 
Um, again, you know, good. We want them to want attention. Um, let's I figure out why they want this attention or, you know, what's happening in their environment. Are they feeling like they don't have a lot of attention um, in other settings of their lives? Are they feeling that in most settings in their lives, they get to that center of attention, so they struggle when they're not the center of attention? Um, and so kind of, again, taking a step back and looking at it objectively and thinking, okay, if this is someone that really wants attention, then how do we give it to them in ways that are more appropriate for the staff that they're with, the setting that they're in, the people that are around them? Um, and then always kind of be really um, mindful of differences, cultural differences. Um, I'm one of six kids. Um, my youngest brother is extremely loud, and he has always been very loud. And a lot of times I think about how he would get these report cards back saying, like, you know, so-and-so was constantly off topic today or, you know, um, always talking with peers. And he would be like, well, I mean, I'm doing nothing wrong. And it's like, oh, but when you talk in class, like, you're always yelling. Because at home, you're always yelling, you know. And he wasn't doing it to, like, get attention in the way we see it. He was doing it to talk to his peers. But he didn't realize how obnoxious it can be to be yelling in your classroom to talk to your friends because he does it at home. So really kind of being mindful of those things and just, again, trying to approach the response that we have from that lens. I love that you're giving your students permission to, to seek attention. You know, we, we have to give them the boundaries and how to do it appropriately. But you're right. Teachers seem to love to use that negative that negative phrase sometimes. But so what are some quick strategies to use to address small behaviors in the classroom before they become the large behaviors or the extreme behaviors? So I think um, something we all hear but hate to hear it is that being preventative is really like the best approach to things. And it might be a lot of work up front, but it will truly pay off in the end. And like, you know, again, I've worked with um, third, fourth and fifth grade students with behavioral needs. I've worked with middle schoolers with behavioral needs and high schoolers. And I've always just kind of seen that the more preparation I have at the start of things, the easier it is to then either de-escalate or manage when things start to get a little bit crazier in the classroom. So a couple of things, have your materials ready to go. If you have um, an elementary school classroom, have some ready-made activities where you can do, you know, um, centers or everyone get out their workbook and start working because that will, one, allow you to have your other kids in the class do something while you're managing behavior. Um, now, when you're managing the behavior, you don't want to take it personally. You want to make sure you're regulated. Um, offer no choice choices. So things like, um, do you want to use the red pen or the blue pen to get started? Do you want to, and this is where choices in the classroom come into play, like having wobbly chairs, different seating options. Do you want to sit on the floor or sit at your desk? Um, again, you're not really getting a choice to get started on the activity, but you're getting a choice of how they're going to do it because we also know that students want autonomy over their environment. Um, using behavioral momentum. So this is things like giving small tasks that we know are high probability, which means the student will probably most likely do them because they know how to, they're confident in them, they like doing it, um, and build that into kind of a chain of behaviors that will get them to where you want them to be. So, you know, the student likes to go turn off the lights before we get started on work. Hey, can you go do that for me? Once they turn off the lights, they come back to their desk. Hey, write your name for me. Okay, once they do that, okay, let's get started on number one. I can help you with this. Also offering those help prompts. I can help you with number one. Can you tell me what you're thinking about this? Um, Picking your battles. Again, not everything needs to be addressed right in that moment. Um, delayed consequences. I know a lot of um, conversations around like students wearing their hoods in the classroom, wearing hats in the classroom, and that can kind of spiral into a bigger issue. Um, pick your battle on that one. You know, if you really want to talk to them, talk to them later after class, not during class. Um, be mindful of like your time. So when you're thinking about picking your battles, is it something that during instruction you have time to go back and forth with the student about, or can you talk to them later? Um, and then following a behavior plan if their child has one. I know it's really hard. A lot of teachers have a lot going on right now. They have big classroom sizes, but behavior plans are written for teachers to know how to work with that student. So these are really um, critical to reading, understanding, talk to staff that know how to use them, <clears throat> ask them for advice on how to um, 
work with them and implement them, but definitely use these. And then if there weren't, if we aren't preventative enough, or even if we are, sometimes things just escalate more than we hoped that they would. So when dealing with extreme student behaviors, I know that this can be one of the toughest parts of being a special education teacher. So what are your suggestions for helping teachers once things have escalated? So yeah, even the best of us, if we have all the things in place, we're using all the de-escalation strategies, kids are going to escalate. Um, we know that there's kind of this like crisis cycle that students go, that people go through. We can see it in ourselves. Um, and the goal is obviously self-regulation, um, which is going to help them come back down from that crisis. But in that moment, your best bet is to wait it out. So one, you want to make sure that you have a kind of a crisis plan in your classroom with staff, with your students, have your students know um, what should we do when uh, a student is in distress. We get our binders, we go next door. Um, have your teacher next door know what to do. If you're in a special education class, um, make sure all of your paras and uh, co-teachers know what to do and how to um, address the situation. Know who is the lead in that moment. So you don't want a lot of people talking at the student. You want to make sure that, you know, if, if you're in crisis, I'm the person that's going to be interacting with you. I'm not going to have admin come in and start talking to you. I'm not going to have paras um, talk to you. Or let's say you're in crisis and the para is already with you. I walk up on it. I'm going to know that the para is right now handling it. And I'm there as support. So really being clear with your team of like how to handle those crises moments. So you're ready. Um, with the student, again, you're just maintaining safety. So real calm and collected. You might be going over and taking that water bottle and putting it away. I've seen so many kids who will just twist that water bottle off and just dump it right in front of your face. Um, put your laptop away. Um, limit the verbal um, com comments and conversations. So you don't want to be like, oh, I'm going to put this laptop away before he crushes it. Because that is just like a, oh, I'm going to go crush that laptop I was not thinking about before. Um, like you don't want to be leading them or prompting them um, on accident to anything. You just want to be really calm and collected. You want to model those self-regulation strategies, model breathing. You can give occasional prompts of like, I'm breathing, breathe with me if you can. Um, some kids will tell you, F you, I don't want to breathe with you. Cool. In that moment, you know that they're not ready then. You're taking a couple more minutes. I'll check back with you in five. Um, again, not taking it personally. And if you can, take your data. So then what are your suggestions for finding a balance between letting a student have some autonomy, like you said, while maintaining a safe learning environment for everyone? Um, so again, kind of like always thinking two steps ahead of your students and kind of putting yourself in your student's shoes. So if you know you have a pretty rigorous assignment or instruction coming up, maybe it's just a lecture that's gonna be pretty boring for your kids because it's just sitting and listening, building in some things where you get that autonomy. Um, and when they start, when you start to see that non-compliance building, um, again, we're using delayed consequences. So you can say something like, I'm not going to do this right now in this moment, but let's circle back later. That tells a student that you're willing to listen to them, but right now is not the time. Um, if you have a student who is kind of constantly looking for those choices, um, again, offering those no choice choices. You can work. And not to say that you don't want to be like, you can do this or this, but that's what I told you. It's more of like very casual, um, a natural offer of choices. Did, who wants to use the uh, markers today? Who's going to use the crayons? Who's going to sit at the science lab tables? Who's, who do I have sitting at the desks? Also building in routines that um, allow kind of for fairness and equity to be seen by students. So if you are doing something like who's at the science labs, who's at the tables, um, making sure that there is a clear routine for that so students know what's coming. Because if it's something like a new rule they perceive, then they're going to have more to comment on. So again, you really want to teach, reinforce these things and make them norms in your classroom and norms for kids to have that choice. That's Those are some great tips. And so you, you mentioned paraprofessionals, you know, a couple of different times. So what are some tips that you have for helping other staff, you know, paras, co-teachers, admin work with behavior. So um, one, it's really important to know that like everyone on this team is a team. So from your admin to your paras, every single person is so valuable in working with that student and the values are going to come through communication. So 
something that I like to use and I've referenced a lot um, throughout my teaching has been kind of using a binder uh, where, you know, you have para trainings that can be in there. You have quick reference sheet for paras and um, doing weekly check-ins. If you can't do it every day after school, just to kind of say, um, you know, what happened today? How do we handle that? Let's talk this through. Here's a suggestion for next time. Bring admin in on those conversations if they're willing to. If not, if you have an admin, you know, they're busy too. Maybe just stop by their office. Hey, we talked about yesterday really quick. I have some tips for you. Um, really approaching it from more of a coaching standpoint than a critical standpoint um, is helpful. With your co-teachers, again, they've got a lot going on, um, but just kind of offering that check-in, being as accessible as possible um, for, to them is going to be helpful, you know, because again, they have planning, they have maybe PIP, we call it PIP at our school, um, but they got other things to do. They've got to cover classes, they got lunch duty, um, and sometimes they're burned out. So just really offering that quick check-in, offering um, quick reference sheets on behavior plans or strategies on IEPs, um, and sharing and reviewing these things as much as possible. I feel like the the biggest piece of this that we we haven't even touched on is experience. You know, is the more that you're that you deal with these kinds of situations and are interacting with students who have extreme behaviors. When I first started teaching, it was it was so 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 hard. And I feel like after 27 years, I I take all of these things and I I use them. Like I don't take it personally. I we always have the chat afterwards about you know how things went. And so I feel like if you are just fresh into this, just starting out in special education, that a lot of these tips that we've talked about today might just sound like, um, oh, oh, that's that's easy for you to say, you know, but I truly believe that everything that you've said here is exactly what we need to do in, in a situation when we're dealing with behavior. And so I really appreciate you coming on and sharing all of this information with my listeners. And it's been beneficial for me to hear. And I know that they're going to take something out of it as well. And you've provided some excellent information and strategies for the listeners. So can you tell us how we can find you on social media and learn even more from you? Yeah. So I post um, mostly on TikTok. My handle is behind behaviors, all one word. Um, that's also my Instagram handle. I'm not so great at Instagram because I am slacking when it comes time making content, but I can, it's easier for me on TikTok. Um, I also, again, you know, I really feel that it's important to be collaborative. And so I'm kind of branching into the advocacy and consulting um, end of things. I offer a time with new teachers to consult on behavior. Um, I work with parents to make sure that they are um, feel empowered at the IEP table and I have a website behindbehaviors.com um, to find more information there. I also have a Facebook group where I post a lot of free resources. Um, again, you can find me on Facebook. It's Behind Behaviors Consulting. Um, but I think, like you said, the biggest piece is, especially for new teachers, going in and knowing that you're not going to get it all in on the first try. Um, and it can all be super overwhelming, but like pick one thing that you want to be, you know, really great at with behavior or um, with your teaching and just kind of don't take it personally, take it slow and always just look for more information. TikTok, Instagram, there's so much out there for us to find. I've learned so much through social media and I just think it's the best thing for a lot of new teachers for sure and veteran teachers. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I would never have thought I could learn anything off of TikTok, but I, I feel so much more intelligent now <laughs> just from being on TikTok for a year. Well, Carly, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure chatting with you and I will link everything in the show notes and um, we'll be in touch. I'm sure we'll collaborate on something else in the future. Definitely. Thank you so much, Jennifer. I love talking to you today. And again, reach me on TikTok if you have any more questions about anything else. All right. Thanks. Thanks for sticking with me until the end. I can tell just by listening to the show that you are just as dedicated to the field of special education as I am, and you want to grow into an amazing educator. And I'm here for it. I'm here for you. And I'm so thrilled to be able to share all of my wisdom of being a veteran SPED teacher on the SPED Prep Academy podcast. If you liked what you heard today and realized you have found your SPED soulmate, please subscribe and head over to spedprepacademy.com slash podcast to check out the show notes and sign up to be notified each time a new episode airs. Go out and have an amazing day and I'll catch you on the next episode.